Hey, well, thank you so much, Kevin. Uh, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. It's an honor to be with you, uh, to have you here with us. If you're listening online later, thank you for doing so, but really glad to have you all uh, with us this morning. You found us in part two of a series we're calling Jesus, and the reason we're calling it that is because we want to give you a chance to see Jesus maybe in a fresh and new way. If I were to do a uh, show of hands this morning, or if I could poke you through the uh, podcast you're listening to, I might ask you, is there anyone in the hearing of my words who has never heard the name of Jesus? And I can't imagine that anyone in this room, at least, would raise their hand and say, no, I, I've never heard of that name before. He's so well-known that he comes with so many um, assumptions that we bring into a relationship or that we bring into an awareness of who Jesus is. And so what we're trying to do is point out that there actually was a time in human history when no one knew who Jesus was at all, when he introduced himself to the world in his way. And the way that he chose to introduce himself is by signs and statements. He did miracles, and he spoke about himself in very particular ways. He introduced himself the way he wanted to be introduced. One of his closest followers named John, who was a disciple who Jesus loved, wrote about Jesus in the Gospel of John. And here's what John said when he wrote his Gospel. Here's what he wanted. When he wrote down the Gospel, he was very clear that he wanted people like you and people like me who read his words to do something with what we will read about Jesus. And here's what he said at the end of his letter, at the end of his Gospel. He said this, these things are written, like I wrote these things, they're written so that you may believe that Jesus is a Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Like, I'm writing this for a particular reason. I want you to see Jesus, but I don't want you just to see him. I want you to believe. And then I want, you to, I want that belief to lead to life in his name. But here's what we know. <clears throat> here's what we know about belief. That not all belief is created equal. Isn't that right? Not all belief is created equal. So, so take, for example... <clears throat> Still fighting a cold, excuse me. Take, for example, a dating relationship. Um, if I were to say to you, if I were back in the, the dating world, and I remember back in college and high school, back in that world, and I'm really glad I'm not there anymore. Some of you are in that space, and you know, may God give you grace to get through that uh, well, okay? Uh, but if you were to hear these words like, does she like me or does he like me? If you were to respond to that, like for me, like, does she like me? I might say, like, I, I, I believe so. Another way to answer that, does she like me? I believe so. Well, I just said the same thing, but even my intonation connotes that there's something different about the strength in which I believe what I just said I believe, that not all belief carries the same weight. Not all belief is created equal. We even use the word belief in different ways, and sometimes even the tone of our voice helps us understand, oh, that's not belief belief, that's just hope and desire and maybe. And so, so what I want to introduce to you is three different ways to think about belief, right? So there's at least, I think, three different ways that we can think about belief. We can, first of all, believe. We can believe that something is happening. Like, you can believe that, for example, I can believe that that girl might like me. <laughs> I can believe that it might rain this afternoon. I don't think it will. I can believe that, you know, there's going to be a football game or two on this afternoon. I can believe that there may be a hope in the future in general for me. But believing that, in fact, I, can, I believe that about hundreds of things. And you do too. 
Like if you're in a family business, you might believe that that family business could provide a hope and a future for you, but it, it, whatever. Like believing that is a category of belief that we all have, but it includes hundreds of things in our world. We believe that we have a particular president. We believe that we have a particular political system. We believe that the economy works in a particular way. We believe that the church works in a certain way. We believe that a lot of things, but the believing that category has no real impact on our personal choices, right? Like, I can believe that and disagree with that at the same time. Like, I can believe that and have it have no pull on my personal life, right? So I can believe, and I can use the word believe, like, yeah, I believe that, but it doesn't really do anything for me. And, and that's one broad category of belief. But there's also another category of belief, and I can believe for, and this is where it gets to be a little bit more personal. I can, I can believe for, something, meaning this way, like if I take that dating relationship, if I believe that girl might like me or that guy might like you, then, you know, once we start dating, I begin to believe in her for happiness, for satisfaction, for meaning, for identity, for connectivity. Like I I hope for and I want something from that relationship. I want something from it, and I believe you for it. And so here's how that works. If I'm believing you for that, and you don't provide that for me, it's only a matter of time until I'm out of that relationship and into another one, right? Similar to a family business, like I might get into a family business believing that it will do things for me. It will provide a measure of security for me. It will do things for me. It will provide financially for me. But I'm not sure that I really like deeply believe, I just know that it's good for me to get a job. And this one seems like the easiest one to get, so I believe for that it's going to provide things for me. And that's another level of belief because now it's not just that I believe that she exists, but I believe for her, like she's going to do things for me and I'm going to hopefully do things for her. And I don't just believe that things exist, I believe that they are for me and I'm for them. So there's this other set of belief. Now, there's this other category of belief, and that is believe in. And this is what I think is the deepest and most personal kind of belief that we have. And, and I would argue that while there are hundreds of things in the believe that category, there's, there's several or maybe many in four, but there's actually very few that are in this final category of believe in. That believe in happens when, take the dating world, for example, when you take it from dating to marriage that something happens that moves us from, I'm just believing you for good things, and I'm actually going to believe in you so much that I'm going to commit my life to you. I'm going to not just believe the family business for an income, I'm going to believe in the family business to the point where I'm going to give everything I have to this place, like I deeply believe in it, despite the pain, conflict, and struggle that may come in working in a family business. I'm going to believe in it. And so I think when we use the word believe that there are times when we are in one category, but we may think that we are in another. And here's what I think, that actually moving, moving from believing that to believing in requires an intentional step. This is an important thing I just want to process for a minute. That actually believing in is unlike believing for and believing that. That believing in, just like moving from dating to marriage, requires a ceremony, vows, a moment to happen where I stop and think, hmm, I don't just believe that this person exists. I don't just believe like for them, that I want things from them. 
I believe in them, and I want to have a moment where I formalize this. Some of you have gone through stress and struggle and losing loved ones, for example. And your faith may have gone through this category. If I believe that God exists, then I believe for him that maybe there's some things for me, maybe he should give to me, but in the middle of grief and pain and struggle, when it's been pushed up against the wall and you've really asked, do I believe in God? Not just that God, not just for God, but do I believe, do I believe in God that you've had the moment where you've stopped You've written some things down. You've talked to some counselors. You've processed with some friends. And you begin to unpack, you know, I believe in God. Or I don't. Or I don't. And here's what I want. Here's what I want to say this morning. That if you don't have clarity on whether you believe that, believe for, or believe in, you risk living blind and deceiving yourself. Because not all belief is created equal, if you don't have clarity for you, particularly on the matter of faith, and particularly this morning on who you think Jesus might be, if you don't have clarity on whether you believe that Jesus exists, that you believe for him, the things that he might give for you, or that you believe in him, if you don't have clarity on which level of belief you actually have, you risk thinking and saying, I believe in Jesus. (laughs) But what you actually might mean is, I believe that he exists. Or you might actually mean, I believe for him. Like, there are some things that I want in this relationship that if he doesn't deliver the things for my life, peace, satisfaction, identity, confidence, if he doesn't deliver for me, I'm going to walk. But I believe in him. Or do I believe for him? Or do I believe that he exists? And I want to suggest that if you don't have clarity on whether you believe that, whether you believe for, or whether you believe in, you actually risk living blind and therefore deceiving yourself, particularly in matters of faith. Now, I have been, and I might argue that you have been, able to deceive yourself in the past. If you have ever played um, board games with me, then it would be a rare occurrence. But if you did, you may find out, especially earlier, I would never do this now, right? But especially earlier in my life, that I don't like losing. So some people around me would say that I'm a sore loser. Now, I would just say, no, I'm just explaining why the game didn't go the way it should have gone, right? Like, I just didn't get dealt the seven that I needed in this hand, right? And now people around me are like, Tim, you are what? You're deceiving yourself. They don't use that word, but you're deceiving yourself. And I'm like, no, 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 I'm just, I mean, just explain like it it should have worked out this way. I don't know why it didn't, but so I'm, now that may be silly, but that's the truth. Like I'm living blind to the very truth that no, actually I am a sore loser and I I have some identity wrapped up in competing and winning all the time. Like I'm living blind in that space. If you ever dated someone later on, you're like, man, I have no idea why I dated them because I was flying blind. And other people were like, what is wrong with you? Like, they, there's nothing good about this relationship. And you're just like, man, I'm in. Like, it's going to be incredible. And later you have regret. And anytime we've had regret in our life, whether it's from a purchase, from someone we've moved in with, from someone we've dated, whatever it might be, the truth is we're really good at deceiving ourselves, and even though we don't ever want to do that. And that's just the human condition that we share together and I don't want I don't want you deceiving yourself when it comes to belief. I don't want you deceiving yourself when it comes to belief. I just want you to know where you are when it comes to belief. And you may be in the category I believe that I believe that God exists. All right. In other words, it has no impact on my life yet I'm exploring 
but I believe that. You may be in the I believe for, like I'm believing God for. You may be I believe in. This morning I want to unpack with you a story that John tells us about Jesus' interaction with somebody who actually goes through the process of this different kind of belief. And we see in him this movement from a believing that to a believing for to what I believe is a believing in. And I want to invite you to consider his story and how Jesus introduced himself to the world. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want to invite you to turn to John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible with you, no problem. There's a Bible in the pew near you. You can also pull it up on your device. John chapter 4 is in what we call the New Testament. It's in the right two-thirds of your Bible. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. John chapter 4 is a letter, excuse me, is a gospel, what we call a gospel letter, that was written by a follower of Jesus named John. And in John chapter 4, we pick up um, what becomes Jesus' second sign that he, um, that he performed, that he did while he was here uh, on the earth. So here we go, John chapter 4, beginning at verse 46, jumping into the last part of the chapter there. I'm reading from what's called the New International Version. That'll be what you find in your pew around you there. Uh, once more... Verse 46 says, he visited, meaning Jesus, he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. So he's returning, he's returning to this place called Cana in Galilee, excuse me, going through puberty, where he had turned water into wine. That's where we left the the story last week. In chapter 2 of John, we were there. And Jesus did his first sign, first miracle, turning water into wine. (laughs) And it was an amazing miracle, and it was also really strange that that someone who we believe, and I believe, is God Almighty made his first miracle to be a, a miracle at a wedding feast. Like, of all things to do, why that? Well, here's part of the result is people start talking about it. So Jesus comes back two chapters later. Jesus returns to Cana in Galilee, and people are like, hey, the man who turned the water into wine is back. Like, I don't remember his name necessarily, but he's back. Like, the water wine guy has returned. And so this is how the word gets out about Jesus. And there was, as the verse continues there, and there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. Now, just to put this in some context, there was a certain, so we don't know the name, royal official whose son lay sick 16 and a half miles away as the crow flies. Now, if you don't have a crow to fly on, then it doesn't work that way. And if you don't have a car to get into or an Uber to call, it doesn't work that quickly to get 16 and a half miles from Capernaum to Cana. And so there's this royal official, not just an official, but a royal official a nameless royal official. So this is someone who is in Herod's court, like the main ruler of the the known world at the time. There's an official, a royal official. So the word somehow gets to the head of government that the water at a wedding feast was turned to wine. And so he's like, hey, that was what, a two-day journey away or two and a half, depending upon, you know, how things go. His son is sick. What else is he going to do? And so this royal official, now, Think about this. Do you think he was just sitting around with nothing on his calendar? <laughs> you think he had nothing to do as a royal official? Like, I, I can guarantee you he clears the calendar for what will need to be a solid week 
two and a half days out, two and a half days back at the best case scenario. The royal official clears the calendar. He's like, we're going to Cana. I'm going to go talk to the wine guy. Okay, I mean, I, just, he's there. Let's see what can happen. <clears throat> and so, verse 47, <clears throat> this man, when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Now, don't run by this scene too quickly. This is, a, again, a royal, a royal official decides, I'm not just going to send someone to get them to come to me, right? Like, isn't that what the heads of state will do? Like, if I'd like to meet with you, and I'm in significant regal power authority, I'm going to send someone to you and say, come visit me. Like, I've got a full schedule. You come here. In this case, he's like, I'm going there. And then, and then he begs Jesus. How many times do you think a royal official begs anybody for anything? And so imagine the scene. Imagine the scene that this royal official travels with his secret service entourage with black SUVs. It would look a little weird, all right, but it happens. Going from Capernaum over to Cana, and he has his entourage with him for safety and security. It takes about two days to get there, two, two and a half days. He gets there, and then he himself begs for help. What a scene. What an absolute scene. It's crazy. And then here's what Jesus says. And by the way, this is almost like, can you imagine this for a moment? This is almost like all the people, by the way, on the way from Capernaum to Cana, as he walks through all these towns, he is the most important person along the journey. Like every town that he comes through, they're going to be like, oh, he's coming. The royal official is coming. Royalty is coming through our town all along the way. And he finally gets there. And I don't know how this scene unfolds next, but he meets Jesus somehow. He meets him, and I don't think it was just in the, the back room somewhere. I think, because most of these things take place in the public arena, I think Jesus just got done teaching in the synagogue, or he's on the way somewhere. But I think there's a crowd around, because a royal official meets Jesus. That begins to draw a crowd. And then <laughs> he gets down and he begs him. Now, if you can imagine, in our world, um, sometimes um, on TV you'll see... Um, you know, commercials for uh, kids, impoverished kids. And there's a, there's a background track that plays. There's black and white music or black and white uh, audio or video feed, some soft tear-jerking music. And you might begin to be like, I'm going to flip the channel on that one. Or maybe that grabs your heart and you, you know, respond. And there's an emotional connection. Why? Because when children are sick and they are in need, most people are like, oh, that isn't right, right? I'm like, there's something I need to do about that. And here's what Jesus says. <clears throat> After this guy tells him his story, he kind of does the commercial story to him. He begs him. He says, I don't know how he verbalized it, but clearly he makes the case, Jesus, my son is sick in Capernaum, and unless you do something, he is going to die. To which Jesus changes the channel. <laughs> I mean, look, look at it in verse 48. Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never, and there's our word, believe. Now, how compassionate is that? I mean, this guy just took two, two and a half days to come to you. This royal official is begging, and you're like, well, come on. Unless you see signs and wonders. Jesus, this isn't signs and wonders. This is the life of a young boy. This isn't a theory. This isn't a, a, a picture, an idea of faith. This is, this is a young boy who's dying, like... I need you to be engaged. <laughs> the royal official, undaunted, 
says this, verse 49. And here's where his faith begins to drive home further. The royal official said, Sir, which in the Greek that word is kurios, which translated in English means Lord. I don't think he's calling him like Lord and Savior yet. It is a term of respect. He's putting himself under Jesus in this moment. And he's recognizing the power of Jesus that exists. And he's saying, Sir, come down before my child dies. There's an urgency to this. I know you're talking about people who want to see signs and they'll never believe. I frankly don't have time for a conversation about faith. I need you to come now. Like I, I left and my son is dying. Before he dies, can we talk about this problem of signs and wonders and people only believing in them later? Because my son is going to die. So before that happens, let's go. Now, think about it for a minute, <clears throat> how he would have left his family and his home in Capernaum. Here's this royal official, no doubt that he's married, he has a son, and can you imagine what his wife and, and home would have been like? I mean, the son is taken ill and gets really bad, and to which he says, all right, honey, I'm going to go get Jesus and I'll be back. Now, can you imagine the anticipation of mom for the past two days, waiting waiting to hear what would happen and waiting, knowing it'll take about four days for Jesus to return and get back. And can you imagine what's going on through the mind of the royal official right now? Like, I know that I've left my wife and my family at home, the servants at home. I need my single job, and I always get what I want. <laughs> my single job is to take Jesus back home with me. And then Jesus says this, verse 50. Go, <clears throat> Jesus replied. Your son will live. So let me ask you, if you're that royal official in that space right now, you have a decision to make. You had pictured, I'm going to be bringing Jesus home with me. Like We're going to walk in the streets and my wife will hear about it, the servants will hear about it, Jesus is going to come and hope will be walking with me. And Jesus throws a curveball here and he says, I'm going I'm to help you, but not the way you expect. I want you to leave me now and go. I want to tell you, your son is going to be okay. So the official has a decision to make. Do I believe Jesus for what he said he will do for me? I believed that he could, so I showed up. Now I need to figure out if I believe him for the things that he says that he's going to do. Verse 50 continues. The man took Jesus at his word and departed, which had to be agonizing because there's no proof that this is going to happen. I can almost imagine if he's got a day, day and a half until he meets the servants that we'll see in a moment, all of the narrative that would be going through his mind. Can you imagine if you're the, the husband in that case and your wife is at home and you show up without the one person that you committed to bringing home with you, the one who was going to heal your son? Can you imagine the narrative going through your mind and like, honey, I tried and it just didn't work. And how's that story going to go? So here's what happens. While he was still on the way, verse 51... His servants, who were not with him, 
met him, the servants that he left at home in Capernaum, met him with the news that the boy, his boy, was living. And so when he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, yesterday at one in the afternoon, the fever left him. And then the father realized that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So what happens is, he's begging Jesus. Jesus says, go and your son will live. And then his son gets better, 16 and a half miles away, two, two and a half day journey. So those servants are like, shoot, we need to go catch up with our master. We need to tell him the good news. He doesn't know that his son is living. Meanwhile, the, the dad and the royal official is coming home like, how am I going to break this news? And what do I tell him? Like, they, they promise. I don't know when. He didn't say how, but you know, what's going to And they kind of meet in the middle, and they share this news. And then they go home together. And there's this incredible reunion I can only imagine at home. And then here's what happens next, the end of the verse, verse 53. So the result is, so he and his whole household, and what's that word? Good. We'll do that one more time for the fun of audience participation. What's that word? He and his whole household what? Believe. He and his whole household believe. Let me ask you this. But didn't he already believe? Come on, I mean, di didn't he already believe? Like in verse 50, <laughs> Jesus says, go and your son will live. And what does it say? The man took him at his word. I don't know what you call that, but I call that Belief. Like he believed that Jesus could do it, and so he shows up in Canaan and Galilee. And then he believed Jesus for something that I think you can actually do this. Like, I believe for this. You can heal my son. I'm going to take that belief, and I'm going to go with it. And then it's a weird ending, but it's there. And so the result of that is that he and his household believed. But he already did believe. <laughs> but not like this. You see, that's why I think there's a movement. There's a movement of I believe that to I believe for to what I believe happens next is I believe in. And if you remember what John wrote at the very beginning of this message, I put up his purpose statement, that I, I'm writing that you may believe, and he says this, that you may believe something very particular. Not just that Jesus existed, not just that he walked the planet. I don't want you to believe that. I want you to believe that he's the Messiah, the Son of God. That's what I want you to believe about Jesus. And that's what I believe happened with this royal official. He moved from, I believe that he can do amazing things, to, okay, I'm going to believe you for this, to, I'm going to believe in you as the Savior and Messiah of the world. Now, I want you to consider, here's why I'm even raising this up here this morning for you because I want you to consider believing in, not just believing that, and not just believing for. I want you to consider for you <clears throat> not just believing that, not just believing for, but are you believing in Jesus? Now, here's the problem with this. Let me just acknowledge the difficulty of this in the room if I can. Here's the reality. <clears throat> that Jesus isn't coming home with any of us. Right? Jesus, like he did with the, the man, the royal official there in Canaan, Galilee, 
He's not going to come home with you today. Like, you're not going to go home and have Jesus literally, physically walking by your side to walk you through the next stage of your life. Like, you're trying to make decisions about where you should go to school, about what job you should take, about your career trajectory. You're trying to make decisions about relationships. You have fear and anxiety wrapped up and broiled in your life. I get it. I understand that. You're not going to have Jesus walking with you, leaving here, this place. Like, he's, he's not coming home with any of us. So we need to acknowledge the difficulty of this. And to make things worse, <laughs> to make things worse. And more sons die than are healed, right? Like, this story doesn't happen all the time. There's a reason it's called a miracle, because if it happened all the time, it would be called normal. It's not. This is a miracle. I mean, just our death rates alone say that one per, uh, every second, almost two people die in our entire world every second, which is kind of a lot depressing when you think about it, but the good news is more people are born than are dead, then the bad news is where are we all going to live someday, and then I move on, okay? So the, the, the truth is people are dying all the time, okay, from all kinds of reasons. Some of them are natural diseases, some of them are natural causes, some are, you know, real, real unfortunate and very difficult circumstances. I, I get that. But the point is this. I'm asking you to consider believing in Jesus who isn't going to come home with you and who may not actually heal your son, if you will. Can you believe in that? Or am I just believing for? Because if I believe for and if I believe that, that if Jesus doesn't come through for me, I'm out. If he doesn't come through for you, you're out. And this is why it's so important, this is why it's so important, I think, for you to, to, to live with clarity on what you actually believe. Do I believe that there is a God? Do I believe that maybe Jesus can do that for other people? Or do I believe for something? I believe that he is for me. He can do some things for me. But here's the problem. When he doesn't, and when he doesn't over time, life gets too hard and I'm out. Or do I believe in? And I still believe that there has to be a moment for you and for me that moves you from four to in. There has to be a moment of pain, of difficulty, of struggle, of time or whatever it might be. Something where you can say, you know what? I'm in. Just like this official. I believe that he can, but now that I'm here with my family, man, I believe. I believe. I believe for real, that Jesus is the Messiah. So my question for you is not, do you believe that Jesus can heal your son? It's the wrong question. I don't want you to believe in Jesus because he can heal. I want you to believe that Jesus has the power to. Those are two different things. I want you to consider that what Jesus did for one here, one day he will do for all, even though he won't do that today. I want you to consider the life of this royal official, that there came a time when his son did die. There came a time when other people in his household did die, but I would ask the question, do you think, do you think their faith would have held through that? Or were they only believing Jesus as long as their son would live? Now, none of us can answer that question because we're not in that household. But I would argue, that when that family came home, they saw their son. And that royal official had already placed a little bit of faith there in the Jesus bucket, if you will. He went in to the point of saying, the reason I'm believing is not because my son is better. The reason I'm believing is because Jesus 
is the Messiah, the Son of God. Only the Son of God can do what he has just done, and I'm going to believe in him, no matter what. See, I hope for you, and I hope for me, that when you say, when I say, I believe in God, it means more than that, it means more than four, but it means in. But it creates a level of peace, calm, comfort for you, that despite your circumstances, despite the pain and difficulty of what will come, your life is centered around Jesus, who can, who can deliver no matter what. Now, those in the room who are still trying to figure that out, I get it, and I want to tell you there's space for them. There's space even to be a, a step before believe that. There's a space of, I don't believe that. I, I get that. I get that. In that space, I want to say, we present to you as clearly as we can what we know about Jesus, what we think we are seeing and who he is. We'd love to have you consider the testimony, not of me, or not even of the people around you, but the testimony of someone who walked with Jesus and wrote down these stories, wrote down these events in the life of Jesus that served as a sign. This is the way Jesus introduced himself to the world, so that people could stop and look at it and say, who is this person who does this kind of thing? That you can move, that I can move from believing that to believing for to believing in. And finally, I'll finish with this. <clears throat> If you have never had that moment of, of moving from a belief that and a belief for, if you never had that moment of saying, you know, this is the faith of my parents, this was the faith of another generation, it, it makes more sense for me to believe than not believe. You know, some people I've talked to, maybe you've talked to, recognize, even doing business in Lancaster County, you make more money if you're a Christian businessman in Lancaster County than if you're not sometimes. You have good networks and relationships that way, and some people confuse finances with faith and, and all that. I get all that. Like, that's all part of the, the weird fabric of just the way things are. I get all that. But if you've never had that moment where you, you, you've been able to move from believing for to believing in, I want you to consider taking a moment, even today, taking a moment for yourself to recount this story of the official who did believe enough, verse 50, he believed enough that he got up and left because he was believing for the things that Jesus was going to provide. But then there was a moment at home where he believed, <laughs> yeah, I believe. And I think that belief was a no matter what belief because I know that Jesus is the Messiah. If you've never had that moment being able to write down, being able to talk about, being able to verbalize, being able to express. I believe in Jesus as my Savior. And that means no matter what. I want to encourage you to take that moment today. Because no one migrates from believe that to believe for to believe in by mistake. There's that moment where God works in our hearts and we see afresh that this is who Jesus is. And I'd love to have you consider that. Because I don't want you, and I know you don't want, to be living blind or deceiving yourselves, particularly as it comes to what you actually believe. All right, next week, we're going to cover one more story of Jesus. This one is where he gets uh, to the point of angering people around him. So if you like drama... 
and people who are angry, next week is going to be for you. Will you pray with me this morning? Dear God, thanks so much for the time this morning, and I pray that you would help us to see again who you are in your fullness. I pray that you would help us to engage these uh, accounts of your life from the hand of people who are eyewitnesses to it, whose stories are corroborated throughout history, who give points in time where events happen so that we can fact check them, so that we can look and see, did this happen here at Canaan and Galilee? Did this official really come from Capernaum? Did this really happen this date at this time? And I pray that you would help us to consider these stories, these accounts, these reminders of how Jesus introduced himself to this world. And I pray that you would help us in our own hearts to consider what we mean when we say, I believe. That we would not just believe that there is a God or believe that Jesus could do whatever. That we wouldn't just believe for. But that we would believe in that we would see Jesus as the Messiah, the Savior of the world who alone has the power to do what he did with this royal official son and bring those who are close to death back to life. Give us the grace we need to have the conversations we need to have to move forward in our faith journey here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray.